Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Along Came a Writer Network. Opinions expressed in our shows do not necessarily reflect those of the network. Well, good afternoon. Um, welcome to Coffee TMV with our guest today, Henry O. Arnold. My name is Linda Kozar, and I'm an author podcaster. And this show, uh, I like to have guests on who share the story of their life, how they got to the place they are now, uh, whether the story, you know, some of the stories are sad or touching, bittersweet, funny, uh, and they're often miraculous. And everyone has a story to tell, and um, I want to hear them all. How about you? (laughs) Today our guest is uh, Henry O. Arnold. He co-authored the novel Hometown Favorite with with Bill Barton and a work of nonfiction, Cabal 24, with Ben Pearson. He co-wrote and produced with Steve Taylor and Ben Pearson the film The Second Chance, starring Michael W. Smith, love him. Um, He wrote the screenplay for the documentary on evangelist Billy Graham, God's Ambassador, and the documentary Cabal 24, based on the book. His latest documentary film, Go to the Rock, The Gospel Roots of Whitney Houston, will be released in 2023. Can't wait for that. The Singer of Israel is the third volume in his historical fiction series, The Song of Prophets and Kings. The first two volumes, The Voice Within the Flame and The Crown of the Warrior King, are also published by Whitefire Publishing. He lives on a farm in Tennessee with his lovely wife, Kay. They have two beautiful daughters married to two handsome men with three above-average grandchildren. <laughs> For more information, go to henryoarnold.com. Welcome to the show, Henry. Thank you, Linda. Yeah, let's, let's emphasize that above-average grandchildren. Well, of course. <laughs> we, uh, nothing less. Yes. Yes. How can we not? And so um, we were chatting a little bit before the show, and uh, we're going to talk about how Henry got started, his early life, and then whatever he wants to share in, well, we have uh, 27 minutes to talk about his life and his books. So we're going to talk about no, his life great, first and then great. gravitate toward the books. Well, thank you, yeah. Linda, for having me on the show and and uh, giving me a chance to have this conversation with you. It's wonderful. Um, I guess I come from a family that's um, theatrical and not only in profession, but also just in a way of life. Uh, It's it's an artistic way of life. uh, You have to, it's almost like you have to audition in order to come to dinner. And uh, if you're not, so if you don't come in on, on 10, then you can get, you know, easily overwhelmed. Um, But um, uh, I, you know, my, our family, my family, I have three other uh, siblings and um, <clears throat> we just grew up in a, a very lively household. And uh, my dad was also a worship minister, a worship leader. And so with all of that, we had people over the house all the time uh, from missionaries and, and, and every two wow. actors and artists. And it was just a, you know, it was a, it was a good time. Um, but there was an emphasis on two things, and that was, you know, the, our, our church life or our, our walk of faith and the artistic life. And uh, the first play I saw was 
my uh, father playing the role of Billy Bigelow in um, in Carousel, the musical Carousel. And I was, you know, three or four years old. And if, if you don't know the story, uh, the character oh, yeah. of Bigelow, uh, yeah. he, you know, he he dies by a self-inflicted wound. And it was traumatizing to me to see my dad. I didn't obviously have the understanding oh, of, hey, this is a play. You know, so um, seeing my father, you know, die on stage in front of hundreds of people, I it I lost it. I actually, my uncle had to carry me out of the theater. So <laughs> that would be rough. That I did rough. not react quietly. <laughs> uh, and then you became a theater and, kid uh, after that moment. Yeah, I mean, and that was kind of the way it was. I, you know, and I ended up uh, just performing with my father quite frequently in various projects, but, and also my mom and, uh, there would, I would come home from on summers at, 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 uh, at school and in, uh, Pepperdine, I was at a Pepperdine university in my undergraduate work. And <clears throat> in order to help pay for tuition, we would work at a dinner theater and, uh, the tips we made, I would just give to my mother uh, at the end of every night, and we used that. She and then she'd write a check to tuition uh, at the end of the the run of a play. So it was, um, That's great. Uh, you know, we were all kind of in this together, and uh, all the life I've been in, you know, I've been doing it for well over fifty years now. And uh, the first professional show I really did was in 1970 with my father, who played Don Quixote in Man of La Mancha. So. <clears throat> That was the real turning point in my life um, at that time that, uh, you know, kind of solidified, okay, this is what I think I'm called to do. Even though at the time, at 20 years old, I didn't recognize it so much as a calling as much as this was, I had a little bit of talent in this area. And Can I ask a off. question? Um, yes, ma'am. What is the funniest thing or the wildest thing that happened during a performance? You know, I mean, I can imagine in a dinner yeah. theater, I mean, all sorts of things could happen. Right. <laughs> yeah. or all sorts theater. of things can happen, but or regular. I guess the first thing that uh, there's, there's probably so many. I'll tell you one funny and then one terrifying. One, um, I, I, there's a, there was a, um, a theater company that created um, a, a series of stories around Aesop's fables and and the Grimm's fairy tales. It's called Story Theater. So it's a collection of those tales. And I played oh, the hound in <laughs> the Brimmentown Musicians. And I was coming out on stage on all fours. And <laughs> as soon as I opened my mouth, I started to hiccup. And... <laughs> I am hiccuping about every 10 seconds. And so I'm thinking about, I could not, uh, how can I, how can I, I can't stop the hiccups. So how now can I use the hiccups as a dog, as the hound, and say the lines I need to say and howl when I need to howl? And so, you know, that was that was a funny moment. And of course, the, the 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 other actors who played the rooster and the cat and the donkey are looking at me, going, 
I think Arnold has lost his mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I so, have a friend who's, yeah, I mean, who, who passed to glory, but while she used to act in plays, and we would, as a friends, would go to support her. So one time we decided, right. we stopped off at a resale shop, and we saw these old band hats. So we bought band hats, all matching, and we sat there in the audience and, until they noticed us, and they were, they, the whole cast was having a hard time. <laughs> right. See, they, yeah. the thing about it is, they should be, they shouldn't be laughing at you. You should be laughing at them. So. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> but uh, thanks for sharing that story about the hiccuping hound. <laughs> yeah, the hiccuping funny. hound. That's a great. That's a great. I'll have to remember that. Yeah, I'll write about that at some time. <laughs> the hiccuping hound. That's a great title. <laughs> so um, yes, you always write those titles down. Um, so so yeah. next, you moved on. I mean, you were in college, and what was your right. major? It was theater and acting. So I got an undergraduate degree at Pepperdine University in theater, and and then I went from there to the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill, where they had a an MFA program, a two-year conservatory program, where <clears throat> you really dove deep into the craft of acting. And mm, yes. um, uh, so you were – I mean, you had intensive – um, you had intensive uh, 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 classes and, and theatrical, uh, I mean, how to create character and all the scene work that you did. And then you had extra, I wouldn't say extra curricula because it was part of the curriculum, but I, w- I took fencing, I took folk dancing, I took um, <clears throat> dialect coaching, I took, you know, all the kinds of all things that prepare you as an actor uh, to go out into the world, and uh, they didn't tell me how to put a resume together. They didn't do that. But uh, <laughs> no, other than, if I, if yeah, if I, you had to learn that on your own. But if you did get, you know, an opportunity to audition, how to prepare for an audition, how to, if you got the role, then how to prepare for the role, and you know, just all of that, and two years uh, of very intensive uh, training, and then, and I was doing, you know, professional work in and around that time. <clears throat> but um uh once i got gradu once i graduated in 76 uh from that program then it was just the rest of the time the rest of my life i've been doing that so bicentennial yeah right? oh yeah wow yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i was working at opryland usa at the time doing a song i was a song and dance man so you know and that, you oh, got to do what you got to do <laughs> yeah, I mean, and yeah. so, uh, so what, what caused the? Uh, well, I mean, it seems it seems like they're they're related, you know, writing books, <clears throat> and also uh, you know writing screenplays or or right, you know, I mean, it's all the, you know, in the realm of creatives, and uh, so right. what prompted you to move into the writing realm? I think it's the love of language, and um, that, that's you know that is the common bond between all whether you're speaking the language or you're writing the language, whatever form it should take. There is this common. I, I guess I fell in love with language, being able to you know say words of playwrights that uh, you know from Shakespeare to Arthur Miller to Tennessee Williams to uh, even contemporary playwrights, 
all of that is in the service of uh, create telling a story. And so um, <clears throat> I felt like I was familiar with, you know, language and that I could, and I was familiar with the art of storytelling. So I felt like, all right, I feel like I've got this extra, I guess you could say extra gift uh, or talent from the Lord that I, not only can I act um, a character and tell a story that way, I can also write, you know, put a story together on paper. And, um, and it began with, <clears throat> it began with um, some plays, some musicals. There was a theater company that I helped form in Nashville called Nightingale Theater with, uh, with two other people. And so mm-hmm. we would do original yeah, we we would do original works, and I did that from eighty to eighty one to eighty five, and um, <clears throat> so I would write the book versions of the musicals, and uh, the, and this couple would write the music, and we would do an original musical. You know, we probably did three or four together, um, and then eventually I, I moved from there to doing one man shows on biblical characters, Jesus, Paul, and King David. And it was during that time, and I would go out on the road and and perform. I actually um, went out with Michael W. in the mid-'90s when he did his acoustic tour, and I opened his show with my one-man show on uh, on Jesus, um, the Word Made Flesh. And so Uh, it was... These these just... It was just, I guess you could say, a natural professional evolution of acting and speaking language to writing and telling story that uh, through theater to the writing. And that was from plays, one-man shows, plays to screenplays to now these novels. Do you find that when you're, when you're writing a book, um, you go to theater when you're, uh, I mean, because you can be pretty dialogue heavy, heavily, you know, it's right. heavy if you're doing that. But do you find yourself thinking of the setting? Because, you know, some people have a, writers have a problem with um, just doing too much dialogue and not enough setting. Others right. have too much right. setting, you know, and, right. and balancing right. those. It is. I mean, it, it, it's, it's the, of course, the, the, the theater, when you're doing a play, you have, you have the luxury of being on stage with other actors and listening to them and, and, and actually through the rehearsal process, you're creating characters together and telling this one story and each, each one is contributing in a sense. It's the same way with, and, and of course you have lights and sound um, um, and sets and all that, that give you a sense of place and time gives the audience a sense of place and time where the story is happening. Yeah, it's and it's it's basically book. it's the same. Yeah, it's the same thing with a with a novel, uh, writing a novel. You're giving a sense of place and time uh, to a reader that you hope takes them away from their present life. You know, if they're mm-hmm. writing the some way to work, or if they're you know in their comfortable chair at home, or wherever they are reading a book, uh, um, you hope that the story is spiriting them away in their imagination from where they are at the present moment. And, um, and that, and that requires the ability to 
set a time and place of your stories. Give characters that are interesting and at the same time accessible to a reader. They understand, oh, I know this person. I understand this person. I like this person or I don't like this person, but I like them enough to, and I'm intrigued enough to follow where they're going. So Even if um, you're a villain, they, they want to know what that Even if you're a villain. Yeah, yeah, right. And and you've got to be, you know, you've got to be true to who all these characters are because if you start, you know, if you start doing what, um, messing with a reader by not giving them enough information or just enough that they need to get a hook into the story and in these characters, then you're cheating. You're cheating. And, um, um, and uh, I think a reader uh, will quickly close the book. Well, you know, this is a good segue into the writing part because I was thinking of, uh, well, Crown of the Warrior King um, is the story of, of Saul, right? Right. Right. That one. And so he's, you know, he starts off sort of, then <laughs> things go wrong. Yeah, he starts he, off pretty good. He goes cray-cray, you know. Right. And was right. it, uh, I mean, so do you feel like after researching and writing about him that you, you know, have some sort of um, oh, psychological analysis <laughs> of what went on in right. him to, you know, move him right. to that position? As a as a rebel, well, really against right, absolutely, and I'm I, I'm you know of course he comes to he comes into his kingship. Um, I, it's almost like he's blindsided um, because he's not you know he's not looking out to be a king. <laughs> well, no. He's on a journey to get the livestock that his father in law or his father lost, and he bumps into the prophet Samuel and. And Samuel says, you are, you know, uh, Yahweh has chosen you. And he goes, what? <laughs> it's that kind of thing. <laughs> um, <Yeah>. You know, <laughs> you know, and, and so he's not, look, he's not looking for the gig of being king. And, um, yeah. and, and you know, that's, that's uh, we actually meet Saul in the first book uh, of, of Voice Within the Flame where this very thing that I just mentioned is described more in detail. And, and that's the, the so, story of Samuel, right? Or, or Hannah. Yes. Right. Yeah. Right. Samuel with Hannah, his mom and Elkanah, his father. And, and uh, the love story of this, you know, this of his parents love story and then moving, you know, watching Samuel grow and, and mature and then eventually come back home and meet um, his future wife, uh, Shira, uh, who is totally made of out of whole cloth. She is, there's no mention of her at all in First or Second Samuel, and um, <clears throat> but they had to. He had to have a wife, or they wouldn't have had two sons. But um, and they are definitely mentioned. So yeah. uh, I create. Then I move into that love story between Samuel and Shira. And their whole relationship that that um, you know continues from novel to novel, and they are an anchor, even though other prophets show up, um, like Gad and Nathan, and and um, <clears throat> so Samuel. To, back to your original question. I'm sorry I digressed there, but Saul Saul 
I, I take literary license in some regards to try and understand myself why Saul would make choices that he makes that we know in Scripture um, that begin what you would call his downfall. And it's a tragic, I mean, Saul, the character of Saul, is a true, in the Greek sense of the word, is a true tragic character. And, and, um, and how did that happen? And it, it can't just be by one or two choices. There have to be somewhere in his, in his makeup that he, he falls prey to uh, pride or hubris, all of, you know, which is, we're all susceptible to. And, and he, you know, and then, and then once that takes over the choices, the, the people that come into your life, you begin to mistrust them and, or, and be jealous of them like he was of David. And, and you know, and it gets, it's, there's that snowball effect. But it starts, it starts with those little, little seeds of doubt that you plant in your own or is, are planted in your own heart that turn to um, that turn to bad choices. That those choices lead to, okay, I'm I, I can't trust myself anymore. I can't trust anybody else around me, and you know, from God to Samuel to his children to this new kid that comes in, David, and kills a giant. And you know, it's it's it just. It, I I hope I'm I. Uh, approach the character of Saul in a way that shows not just villainy but a real empathy for how e- how susceptible how human we all are yeah and then yeah. we are all human and 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 then how that just yeah how that hubris begins to eat away at our heart and we're incapable or we refuse to pull back from that, and well, it just takes it a slippery you, slope. This segues you also into the singer of Israel, which is David, and you mm-hmm. think of David, who was at Saul's dinner parties at the palace, and right. he's like, "Oh, he's a harp for me," and you know, now that's a performance where you know you had to be on the edge of your seat because you knew that a sword was gonna. <laughs> Right. <laughs> at some point, Saul was going to, you know, launch a, a not a sword, a, a spear at you. A spear, you know, yeah. like, right. ooh, you know. Hmm. Yeah, ooh. I, want, I didn't see my, that coming. <laughs> yeah, is it my plane? <laughs> is it the song? Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, I've felt like I've given bad performances before, but they yeah. weren't worth, you know, getting a spear thrown at you, you know? Yeah, I mean, you know, now that's, I mean, that's on the edge of your seat kind of performance there. So. Yeah. Right. Um, but, but the singer of Israel is your latest. It's the third. It, are there right. going to be more in the series? Or is yeah, this... there, there, it, there. It's this is the song of prophets and kings will be a quintet of novels. So okay. um, uh, I have finished the fourth one and turned that one in, and I hadn't even I haven't even written the first sentence of volume five. So I'm, I've got some other things that I've got to do before I can get to that one, but. Volume four is done, and um, there will be a fifth one, and that will that will end the series. 
Until your next series. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Until the next Or, one. you know, my wife says, enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's see. Yeah, so, I mean, we know what's coming down the line with that, but what about, right. uh, what about you know, acting the or screenwriting or playwriting? Yeah. <clears throat> well, uh, of course, The Singer of Israel comes out uh, – November 15th and this year has been uh, and we'll I'll get back to that in a minute but I have done uh, this summer uh, I did a production of The Hiding Place which was a new oh, original adaptation of The Hiding Place Corey Ten Boone's story mm-hmm. and um, um, it was a big success and they've actually they've they filmed the stage production and it will be released in theaters uh, sometime in um, 2023. So I've I had some uh, I played a couple of different roles in that. Um, I remember the original movie. (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, this was uh, this the the original movie was uh, with um, oh man. uh, Well, I can't remember the two ladies. Jeanette Cliff George was one, and uh, Julie Julie Harris I think was the yeah, other Julie um, and uh, yeah and so um, nothing like this has been done since then that was a Billy Graham uh, feature film and um, uh, the the Billy Graham Association gave this uh, theater company that I work for the rights to do this play and to film it so this is kind of you know 50 years later or however many years 40 years later um, it's high yeah, right, and it's it's a very powerful production. And then I also wrote this documentary screenplay for um, I Go to the Rock, the Gospel Roots of Whitney Houston, that will, I got an email this week from the producer saying that the tentative release date is March 24th. So I'm looking forward in the movie to that. Business, yeah, in the movie world, Anything can happen. Just because they put a, na- uh, a date on it does not mean it's in stone. So, you know, but just look for that title. It's the Gospel Roots of Whitney Houston. And, um, well, and I hope our that will be out will. at some point. And it's the same with the writing world, too. I mean, the date, uh, well, that can change <laughs> depending on yeah, things. no but, kidding. <laughs> um, and, and you know it's a long process, too. It's like, well, I finished yeah. the book last year, and it should be out right. to, uh, in about nine months. Or <laughs> right. Maybe. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like the, it can be the gestation of uh, of an elephant, but. You know, yeah. you hope it's quicker than that, but still. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, oh, when's your book coming out? Well, uh, soon, I hope. Yeah, yeah soon, I hope. <laughs> you, have be, you have to be very patient with these things. You know? Right, so. you do. You have to be patient in the writing process. You have to be patient in the finding the agent and publisher process. And then yeah. once the <laughs> once you find that commitment, you have to be patient in the where the real work begins is the editing process and and the oh. rewrite process and mm. and you know uh, as the song says you can't hurry love so you gotta you gotta be you gotta be patient and um, and uh, and enjoy every step of the way and you need you need a tough hide too yeah <laughs> for the oh. uh, for the editing oh. process you know because it's like but I really like that 
you know, yeah, and you only point to the things. I know. You, know, you, you kind of like set your boundaries. Okay, I'll let that go, but I won't let this go. Right. You know. Right. Well, as, uh, as I think William Faulkner, mm-hmm. as William Faulkner said, once he rent, finished uh, writing a novel, he would have to quote start killing his darlings. Yes. In um, uh, quote. And so you know, the things that you really like and you want to keep and don't want to let go of, those are probably the things you either let go of or you have to rewrite to the point to which you don't recognize it, what you originally had. <laughs> and I know, and you always think back on that. Yeah. And, um, well, I wanted to ask, yeah. um, I asked my last guest, Deb Rainey, um, do you have a favorite Christmas tradition with your family that you want to share, just something you do, you know, every year? Well, okay. Well, um there's a lot of things that go on, but I will tell you this one that we did with our grandchildren. We always started, we live on a farm, and when they were, we still have them fooled at this point, although they are becoming agnostic when it comes to, all right, is this, you know, is this really real or not? You know, they're at the beginning <laughs> yeah. of the question. Yeah. So, we started this tradition many years ago, and the 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 weekend of Thanksgiving, after we have our big Thanksgiving celebrations, um, we go back in the woods on the farm to pick up the Christmas tree that the Christmas tree fairies have left cut and ready to go for <laughs> our grandchildren to find. I mean, we have to go back there in the woods. They have to find the Christmas tree. And so it's a, it can be, you know, it's not a big ordeal. We, we don't, but we don't make it easy, you know? That's, that's a great, <laughs> and that's so a great. We go back. Yeah. We go back on the, on the, on the, uh, in the four before or whatever. And, and we look for the Christmas tree and when we find it, we throw it in the back uh, uh, and and drive back to the house. And we then we set it up and begin the decoration process. And so until next year. <laughs> until next year. So that's really we've done that now, I guess, oh, for the last seven or eight years. And the the kids just really enjoy getting out there and doing that. And that's a favorite one. Well, thank you so much, Henry. We we are completely out of time now, <laughs> but I, oh, I enjoyed. It went by so fast. <laughs> no, it's thank thank you. I mean, yes, it does go by oh. fast. Uh, yes. and I really appreciate uh, just chatting with you about your life and about your book. And congratulations. Yeah, this was yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for this time and uh, for being on your on your program. And and uh, you know, I just wish you all the best. Well, thank you, and everybody, uh, go visit henryoarnold.com. Take yeah. care. And then by that time, it'll be all the information will be up. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm.